Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Wright Jr. We have a number of people we're going to talk with today, but so many things are happening in Tennessee. Uh, my first guest is uh, legendary civil rights attorney Emeritus Lemhow, who also is a big time player in uh, national and local democratic politics. So, uh, Lem, I want to start off. We were going to talk about uh, uh, Donald J. Trump, but I think something even more dangerous to democracy than Donald Trump right now is what's happening in Tennessee. Uh, can you expand on that, sir? Uh, yeah, I will say this is an attempt to subvert democracy. How can you take away some uh, uh, legislators' vote because they agree with demonstrators that AR-15s are assault weapons that should be banned? And because these three legislators joined in the demonstration, they take away their votes. That's outrageous, unheard of. It's anti-democratic and it's just leading to a police state. We can't have that. That's their new uh, mantra. Now, in terms of, uh, uh, would you consider that the actions of the Republicans uh, in uh, the Tennessee State House to be in line with what uh, the uh, past president, uh, number 45, was about? Well, it's all part of the same problem. When the uh, statistics came up that uh, brown and black people would be taking over the majority at mid-century, they couldn't deal with this. I think it was, uh, you know, if if... Barack was only elected one term, you could say it's an anomaly, but he was elected twice. So especially young people and women are waking up and uh, the conservative minority cannot stand that I idea. For example, they thought that this country was uh, founded on Christian principles. That's not true because a lot of the founders were deists and the Constitution was written, the, the First Amendment provides Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And these Christian nationalists, who are a minority, are claiming Christianity. Even there were symbols of Christianity in the uh, January 6th insurrection, which is ridiculous. They're claiming that they have, they, you know, it's just like these uh, churches uh, during the Civil War in the South, justifying slavery. Just outrageous. But, uh, uh, you know, Eddie, you had asked me to talk about uh, uh, the indictment of the former president, mm -hmm. Donald Trump. And let me say, when uh, our friend Bragg didn't indict him the first time, uh, when they were getting the uh, Trump Foundation and two prosecutors resigned, I said, you know, maybe, maybe Trump made him an offer he couldn't refuse. But I've completely revised my thinking. The brother is excellent. He's got, he's got him, and it's a good thing. Let me explain something about what he's done. Trump, Trump was charged with 34 felony counts, not misdemeanor. And the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony is the time in jail. 
A misdemeanor is up to one year in jail. A felony is over one year. Or let's put it this way. The sanctions provided for a violation of the law is over one year. But he, he charged misdemeanor, I mean, felony counts. You know, the case is based on falsification of records. In other words, it wasn't illegal for Trump to pay off uh, uh, Stormy Daniels. In other words, he could do it. But you can't falsify the records. And he did that. So we, what we have also here is a so-called catch and kill. In other words, he's got this guy, Pecker, uh, David Pecker, who was publisher of the Inquirer to get the uh, the story that the person, you know, you know the young woman from uh, uh, one of the Playboy bunnies, he was supposed to have Karen an affair McDougal. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. McDougal. And so, but but here's the deal. Here's the deal. It is based. If you make a false record, he claims that he was he was paying uh, uh, Cohen for legal services. Well, that's not true. He was repaying Cohen for Cohen having paid uh, the lady $130,000. And so if he did that, then that, that is a violation of law. And if it's a violation of law, this hush money, while not illegal, it's illegal if you record it for something it's not. And it's recorded as income to Cohen for doing legal services, which it was not. And get this, he reimbursed him while he was in the White House. So that proves that it was for the purpose of the election and not to hide it away from his wife. Uh, so if, it, if that's the purpose, then it's an illegal purpose. And while the falsification of records in itself may be a misdemeanor, if it is done for illegal purposes, then it becomes a felony. And they can't say he was just hiding it from Melania because he had uh, uh, this guy in the White House, uh, Pecker, the publisher of the uh, Inquirer, and said, thank you for what you did for me. So it's proof that it was a scheme. They call it, you know, it could be a conspiracy is another name for it, but it was a scheme. So it wouldn't come out just before the election. And if that's the per if that was what was done, then it's a felony. I think he's got him cold. So what about what about what about uh, putting it on? Uh, well, nobody's seen the tax returns, but charge that as a business. Oh, you know, that's that's an interesting side issue because now his former uh, accountant may be involved because if they if they put it in tax records falsely, then that's also you know all this business about uh, uh, falsifying business records is also for the purpose of falsifying it for insurance. That's how they got the Trump organization and for tax purposes. Now, if they did that, 
then that accountant may be necessary also in the criminal trial against Trump. But the question is, he didn't give anything away when he was when he pled guilty. He didn't help the prosecution. He didn't hurt the defense. He was sort of thing. But now if he comes up, how was this classified in the record? It was classified as income. Well, that's wrong. It was repayment of a loan, which was the purpose of that scheme was so Trump would be elected. It also not violates federal law. It violates New York law because New York law provides that it cannot be for uh, 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 Eddie, you got me. I can't read my writing. Anyway, (laughs) New York law says you can't be for uh, an improper purpose. And if it's for improper purpose, not only does he have him under New York law, but he has him under federal law. Well, Lil, I want to thank you for the day. You know, we could talk for a whole hour, but I want to thank you for uh, coming on, shedding some light on that, and also speaking to that the current issue of uh, democracy, and that's happening in Tennessee. And you expanded on that first. We really do appreciate it because we know you. I, I, I want to leave you. I want to leave you with a little gem before we go. Go right ahead. Clarence Thomas didn't record over five hundred thousand dollars worth of gifts that he's been getting over the years. And there's a, a requirement that you disclose that. In none of your, none of his financial forms does he disclose that. And the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to do an investigation about this. Couldn't happen to a better person. Thank you very much, somehow. We appreciate you You're always being on top of it. We'll be looking forward to uh, some a little roast to Clarence Tom asked. So thank you very much. My okay. next guest is Jess Darnell Hinton, who is the mm-hmm. owner of Helen's Soul Bistro, which is across the street from Helen's Diner, up the block about a little ways, 2301. And they have a big event coming up on Saturday called Harlem Nights. So, uh, Ms. Hinton, why don't you go right ahead and let people know what will be happening on 23rd and Union. Well, thank you, Eddie, for having me on. I appreciate you so much. Um, as you know, um, this this has been a journey for the last couple of years. Um, I started this journey like right before COVID hit. Mom had sat me down and said, this is what I want to do again. I said, okay, are you sure? She says, yeah. So she entrusted me with this part of the journey. Um, We have now um, secured a place across the street from the original Helen's Diner on 2030 Union in the Midtown Square uh, building, which used to be a mid, yeah, Midtown Square. So it used to be Midtown Center. But now it's Midtown Square and the gracious people that developed that part of the land, uh, Lake Union Partners, were so gracious to invite us to have a spot there. This Saturday, we will be launching our first um, gala event, fundraising event, so that we can invite the whole community in so they can see what's to come. Uh, when we build this space out at, at a New Helen's Diner. And this Helen's Diner is going to be called um, Helen's Soul Bistro. So every every one we've gone through has had its own little journey. So we had Helen's Diner, then we had Helen's Soul Food, and now we're going to have Helen's Soul Bistro. And um, Saturday night, 6 to 9, at our location right there on the corner, across the street from... Um, 
across across the walk from um, Art Noir. Um, we're going to open and have everybody come in and have a good time. Going to have food and fun and and music and um, so people can taste some things. So we're going to have off the menu coming up, and we're going to have a silent auction, um, a raffle, and just a way that we can reintroduce back into the community. Now, when uh, when will the official opening happen? We are targeting November 2023. Mm -hmm. That is our hope and our prayer. Uh, with these things, it's a little bit iffy. So, um, you know, that's our hope and our prayer that we get a build out and be having doors open at least by Thanksgiving this year. Okay, so by Thanksgiving, and what will the hours be? And give us a, our listeners a little idea what the cuisine will be like. Okay, we're gonna stick with the old Helens. I'm not. I'm. I'm not changing. No, no, no. Mom would. Thank mom you, would. Thank mom you would for that. Me. Thank <laughs> you for that. Mom would not be pleased. So no, no, baby. I'm bringing back the neck bones and the neck and the oxtails and the catfish and the fried snapper and some red beans, some rice, some greens, and some smothered smothered pork chops and her cornbread and her burgers. I'm bringing all that back. That's, that sounds very appetizing right now, as hungry as I am. But uh, <laughs> that sounds very appetizing. So uh, what will the hours be? It's 2301. And you said uh, the target date for official opening is when? It's uh, November 2023. Okay. Um, our, our hours, um, we there's... You know what, what I discovered when I st first started researching this and coming back into the neighborhood, there's really no place for us to go and eat real breakfast like we are used to. Mm -hmm. And so I will have some specials on there that's going to be named after you, Mr. Rye <laughs> and Mr. Fitzgerald Beaver. Okay. And, you know, just people who used to come in that were the no my notable people, anybody who came into Hellas was everybody in the, in the Black community. So I must say, that um, I have a rich, rich, rich his history to pull from. So we're going to open um, Tuesday through Sunday. We're going to um, uh, start on Tuesday through Friday uh, breakfast at 8 a.m., 8 a.m. in the morning, when our hours will be, we'll close at 11. On Saturday, we'll have our brunch, uh, a serious soulful brunch. And Sunday, we'll have a gospel brunch and dinner. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I tell you what, we will definitely uh, encourage people to show up uh, for Harlem Nights on Saturday at 2301 East Union at Helen's mm -hmm. Soul Bistro. So yeah. uh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep up with you and you get ready to open. We'll have you back on. And also we'll also report on what everything looked like on Saturday night. So Jess Darnell Hinton, owner of Helen's Soul Bistro, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Okay. Okay. Uh, Gabby, are you on the line with uh, Mayor Karen Bass? Hi, Eddie. I am. Just give us one minute. Okay. Well, you have you have a minute. Hi, Lanisha. How you doing? Hey there, Eddie. It's great to be here with you. I'm well. How are you? Okay. So, you know, we got uh, uh, Mayor Bruce Harrell is coming on, too. So we're going to do everything like we have to do it. And uh, I just really want to appreciate uh, your uh, performance as the co-MC of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee's uh, 55th an uh, anniversary 
and Day of Remembrance that was held at Holgate Street Church of Christ this past Tuesday, April 4th, which is the 55th anniversary of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So yeah, we'll be doing some more things, and we expect Panam to play a major role in making sure that the history is preserved and us living in Martin Luther King Jr. County. Anything about Martin Luther King Jr., we have to be on top of for the rest of the country. So, Gabby, are we there yet? Yep, just about. Okay. Well, I got I got Miss Lanisha on. You guys have to meet her, a dynamic Reverend Lanisha DeBartlemin. Well, President. Eddie, let me just say it was a joy to uh, co-MC that program with you. It was a beautiful tribute celebration of remembrance. Well, it, he the brother the brother was worthy, and the holiday and uh, any any remembrance that we have, and it's also the day of remembrance. Also, remember some of the people that came forward. There is uh, your honor, Mayor Karen Bass. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Eddie? Good to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you, too. I don't usually see you. I'm usually on the phone with you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, unless we're in Tunica, the CBC, and I missed yeah. the last couple. So uh, yeah. I know you got limited time, but uh, why don't you tell our, our listeners uh, exactly what you're doing? Everybody was watching your uh, whole uh, uh, uh deal you were doing on the homeless. And I think uh, even our mayor, everybody was watching that. How did that go? Well, it's been going? Going, it's been going very well. You know, we um, uh, got about 1,200 people out of tents and into motels. And now we have to get them out of the motels and into permanent supportive housing. So that's what we're doing now while we're continuing to get people out of motels. But, you know, our population, Population here is huge. We have over 47,000 people sleeping on the street. That's a massive number. And so in the month of January, not in the month of January, in my first 100 days, we were able to get 4,000 people housed. Uh, but, you know, the 3,000 of those were put in housing that was coming online. So it wasn't what I did specifically. I did 12 out of those 4,000. And what do you see the solution being? I mean, I, my congressman used to be the former chair of the House Armed Services Committee, a gentleman that I like very much, Congressman Adam Smith. I used to say, well, you know, your budget is $780 billion to defend America. Just think we took 10% of that. What would that do to put a dent in the homeless problem? It would solve the homeless problem in the United States. There would not be homeless people in the United States if we had $78 billion. Uh, we could solve it in L.A. with about $4 billion. And we do have the majority of the, I mean, California has, I don't know what percent, maybe 30 to 40 percent of the homeless in the country. And so uh, a number like that, we, we would not have the problem at all. Well, you have a former colleague uh, who is now the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Ms. Uh, Secretary Marsha Fudge. Are you communicating with her to see if you get everything you can out of her? Oh, you know I am. You know I am. And she has delivered. I mean, she's given sent us more than $200 million. So, yes, she has been out here. She knows what the situation is. And then, you know, Biden uh, said he wanted to reduce homelessness in the United States by 25% in two years. So, needless to say, we raised our hand and said, come here, because if you can help us get a handle on it, we will be able to solve this problem. It's going to take several years, but we can do it. 
So what are your priorities right now? I know homelessness is one of the priorities you have in Los Angeles. Well, the the, big, the uh, underlying issue, though, to homelessness is affordability. So L.A. has become unaffordable. And uh, that is the number one, two, and, th and three issue. The other thing is, is that because the COVID protections are going away, we could have a new spike in homelessness. So we have to address it comprehensively. We have to prevent people from losing their homes. We have to get people off the street as soon as possible. We have to address why they were on the street to begin with. We have to get them into permanent supportive housing. And for those people that will be able to function on their own, we need to get them back into the mainstream workforce and the mainstream housing market. What are the other priorities that you have for your administration? Public safety is is always one, um, you know, in terms of making sure that our neighborhoods are safe. Uh, we did have a little decline in our homicide rate, but the problem is, is that the solving of homicides is still really low. Uh, when you talk about homicides in the black and brown community, it's about 50 percent are solved. And so that then becomes an important issue. But, uh, Eddie, when I raise affordability, that goes across the city. So you have people who can't afford to live anymore. We just finished settling a strike of uh, the classified workers uh, in the school district. And many of those workers were one foot in a house and one foot out of a house, some of them living in cars. Now, those are public sector employees that union members that should never be so fragile um, with their housing that they're living in cars. So every which way you turn, it all goes back to the same issue. So you ask, what are my priorities? And I tell you, but they all come back to the same issue. And that's that the city is unaffordable. The most extreme expression of unaffordability are people who are on the streets. But there's a whole lot of people that are barely hanging in and are one paycheck away from being on the street. In terms of uh, we've had some serious issues with uh, uh, equity and contracting in Washington state. And I was just curious to know what is it like? Uh, what are the opportunities like for African Americans? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not against anybody else, but when I look at the numbers, I see that our numbers are, are, are not where they should be in this state. And I was just wondering how are you uh, dealing with uh, equity and contracting with uh, the city of Los Angeles, or have you got to that point yet? I haven't. I haven't yet. You know, it is a major priority. But just backing up a little bit. I've been mayor now for about 115 days. I had three weeks, Eddie, to go from being a member of Congress to running the nation's second largest city. So I, on day one, put the city in a state of emergency to address homelessness, but I'm barely staffing up. So I have a number of deputy mayors now, and I do have a deputy mayor for business and economic development, and it's under her uh, area where we will address procurement. And what I believe in terms of African-Americans, we have to go get African-Americans to participate in the process. We have to get other people of color too, because just putting it on a website does not mean everybody comes. You have to do proactive, targeted outreach, and that will absolutely happen. And I guess there was a little fracture in the black and brown community with the comments that were recorded by uh, two of the uh, Mexican. No, no I, I don't think it fractured our communities. I mean, you had four knuckleheads having a conversation, very racist conversation, where they were essentially trying to diminish 
Black representation. Now, we're only 8 to 9% of the population, okay? And Latinos are 49% of the population. So, of course, Latinos should have more representation. But there's no reason to try to take resources or reconfigure uh, districts of African-American uh, council members in order for there to be equity. You don't need. One is not mutually exclusive of the other. But I will tell you that the relationships between black and brown leaders is too strong. And it's it and it's been going on for generations. So the conversation of four knuckleheads, I do not believe, has fractured our uh communities. Well, you know what? Uh I now I think about it, uh Angela was at some event on Tuesday with the various groups of folks, communities of colors coming together to deal with equity issues. So you're right. absolutely right. Uh, folks are still working together. Well, in Seattle, I was one of the people that occupied an uh, a, a, a elementary school in 1972, and it's El Centro de la Raza, and it's been there, and it's still El Centro de la Raza. So we worked across. At that particular time, in those days, we didn't have a large Latino population, but we had we worked together. Uh, there was demonstrations where the United Construction Workers Association were trying to get Blacks into the building trays, and uh, a whole division, uh, the, uh, the Chicano division of University of Washington Educational Opportunity Program all came out. Folks went to jail for black folks. And we also did the same thing for our Latino brothers and sisters. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's very important. And I've been very aggressive about this because, you know, a lot of reporters were chomping at the bit uh, when they saw a potential division. And so it's been very important for us to reinforce our unity. And um, and not allow, you know, anybody to tear us apart. Uh, Mayor Bass, uh, I want to know if uh, you got one minute to say. Mayor Bruce Hill, are you on the line? I am, Brother Rye. Nice to hear from you. And nice to hear Mayor Bass. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. I, I try to order up some sunshine here so when I hear your voice, I can see some sun, <laughs> but I, I was not successful. <laughs> am I gonna see down you? There too. <laughs> am I gonna see you in a couple of weeks? Yes, you will. I will be there. Good, 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 good. Well, I'll look out for you, and then we'll have a new mayor that we can welcome—the mayor of uh, Chicago. Yes, I, I just text, uh, texted uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson. I'm excited about that. I'm bringing my my wife Joanne Harrell to D.C. as well. I gotta I gotta lead with the smarter one in the family, so we'll be there. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And I recently saw Jason and we had a nice oh, yeah. conversation. So uh, definitely appreciated your insight. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, Gabby told me you were on a tight schedule, uh, Mayor Bass, so I don't want to uh, get her in no trouble or get me in any trouble <laughs> with you either. So. So. All right. Well, listen, it's always good to talk to you. Okay, and we'll keep you we'll keep you up to date on our progress. Okay, well, next time I'm in LA Business and Analyst, I'm gonna come see you. I hope so. Yeah, okay. I hope you do. And I'll see you, Mayor. See you in a couple okay, weeks. Okay, we'll see you. See you in a few weeks. All right, bye bye. Right. But Mayor, before you go, I just want to let you know that the Northwest African American Museum and the Lanisha de Barlabin, uh, that's something to look up. Okay, I want Good. you to look at that. She has All a right. world class museum, and she's an outstanding person. So. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate All right. it. All right. We'll do that. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Mayor Bruce? Yes. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and let... Uh...
let us know what, what your priorities are. We were glad that you were able to come and visit with uh, the folks on Tuesday for the 55th uh, Remembrance uh, Day of Remembrance and the 55th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. It was important for you to be there. I uh, know that you were, did you enjoy Jamil, uh, the, the Jamil Big Easy uh, food he threw down? I enjoyed the meal uh, tremendously. I did want to say thank you to, I know the Royal Esquire Club helped sponsor some of the event. I want to give that organization yes, a good shout out. That's thank, right. Roberto Jordan came with the check in his hand. Absolutely. We appreciate it too. And thank you and other community members for pulling that together. Interestingly enough, I listened to a book read on a subject later that evening, and we talked about the commemoration of, of, of that, the remembrance of that day and how we have to draw strength and courage from it. So thank you for putting that together. Yes, sir. So do you, I know that you have a booked up schedule, so I was just wondering, do you have any things that you want to leave with our, with our, uh, our, my listening audience? Well, uh, if I could sort of leave with this in a few weeks, we're going to announce some plans on uh, to fine tune our downtown activation plan. And why I think this is so critical for everyone is we will see sort of the results of perhaps bad, bad policy and this affected a lot of people uh, in this country. And I want to get them help and treatment and education counseling. And so I'm talking to faith community leaders about helping out mental illness workers, um, people in the industry that can help us help others. And at the same time, activate areas and make it safe and, and conducive toward um, good shopping and, and, a, and a better experience. So I just want people to be on tune for that. Okay. And then we'd like to have you on do a, a, a quarterly or monthly report from the mayor's office. I'm sorry, you, you cut out and I have like... No, no I said we'd on. like to have you on quarterly or monthly to have an update from the mayor's office. Well, I'm not going to commit to that. I'll come <laughs> He's trying to pin me down. You got to, I, I will try to be as accessible. I'll try to meet that goal, but I don't want you to say. No, I'll, 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 I'll deal with Ann. I'll make sure you're free. There you go. I, know, I, got, I've been, I got the proper directions to make sure I All get right. things squared away. So thank you well, very much, Mayor Bruce. We appreciate you. you. Okay. I appreciate you too. Thank you very, very much. Okay. All okay. Right. Lanisha, before we're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back to you. And we have Aaron Nielsen from the Department of Financial Institutions going to tell us how we can get a bank in the CD. I'm just kidding. They already got a bank in the CD. We need one in the federal way of renting. Okay, we'll take this break and come right back. Thanks, Lanisha. Hold on, please. transit we not only connect more people to more places we're making life better for all we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities like jobs and school if you have an orca card you can just tap and go we have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities for adults with lower incomes check out orca lift and pay just a dollar for your ride to plan your trip or to learn more visit us at soundtransit.org 
Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. All right, Eddie Ride, making Sound Transit's uh, civil rights, uh, uh, Office of Civil Rights, Inclusion and Diversity, uh, Sound uh Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office and the City of Seattle's uh, Construction uh, Purchasing Construction Services Department and the SeaTac Bar Group LLC. They own the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge on Concourse A at SeaTac. We'll go back to to Reverend Lanisha De Barlabin, my co MC for the Tuesday night event on the Day of Remembrance, and the dynamic Executive Director, President, and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum. That always has something going on. So, Lanisha, thank you for uh, uh, hanging with us and let us know what you have up because the month of April, you have a whole litany of activities going on. So share with our listeners what you have going on. Well, thank you so much, Eddie, for having the Northwest African American Museum on the show today. April is known as Jazz and Poetry Month, and NAM is truly nonstop this month. Starting today, actually, we have an artist talk, a program called Let's Talk Art with Vincent Keel. He is a local uh, renowned artist. His work is beautiful, and it is on display at the Northwest African American Museum as part of our Colors of Life exhibition. He He's going to do an interactive hands-on demo and art talk uh, three o'clock today at the museum. Uh, folks are welcome to come over, meet Vincent, see him literally creating a work of art right before your eyes and uh, be inspired by his story of how he got into art, what inspires him, what does he see when he's creating pieces. And so we're just striving to uh, give platform and showcase our amazing Black artist here. He's a part of the Onyx Fine Arts Collective. And then on this Saturday, April 8, we are partnering with the Public Health Seattle King County Department to host a community health fair. That's going to take place at the museum from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. The museum is free all day that day for anybody who wants to come and visit the museum. We will have over 50 health vendors there and um, a variety of activities and health empowerment um, information. It's really all about moving us toward true health equity in King County. And so that's what that day is all about. And we're devoting that day to uplifting the legacy of Fannie Lou Hamer and now her belated daughter, Jacqueline Hamer Flakes. 
who was just here in Seattle on March 16 and who died on March 27th from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So that day we're uh, designating as the Hamer Legacy Health Day. And we just want the entire community to come out and be empowered, informed and inspired uh, through health equity activities. And then the next day, April 9, we have our interactive story time that's taking place at one o'clock for the little kids and families. And the story is called, um, it's the it's um, it's a story devoted to the life and legacy of Fannie Lou Hamer. It's part two of our uh, story of Fannie Lou Hamer read by Erica Williams, who's the national organizer for the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Erica Williams works with Reverend Dr. William Barber, and she's a phenomenal national organizer, civil rights activist, and she's the narrator and the reader of that book. So we encourage folks to log on on Sunday, April 9 at 1 p.m. on NAM's YouTube channel and uh, watch this powerful story of the life of Fannie Lou Hamer. And then on Tuesday, April 11, we will be hosting a conversation with nationally acclaimed New York Times bestselling author, Clint Smith. He's known for his uh, bestselling book, uh, How the Word is Passed, but he recently wrote a poetry book called Above Ground about Black fatherhood. And he's gonna be in conversation with Marcus Harrison Green at NAM at 6 p.m on Tuesday, April 11. We're co-hosting this with Elliott Bay Book Company. So we invite folks to go to NAM's website, go to the museum's website, look at all the details and be at these events. Now, in terms of uh, people having, uh, I know that the Martin Luther King Organizing Coalition is having an event gonna be held at NAM. And then I was also wondering, uh, you're back open, what are the hours? Uh, and if people wanna have events there, who do they contact? Yes, the museum is back open. We have regular hours. Uh, all the info is on our website, namnw.org. We host guided tours. If folks want to schedule a guided tour of the museum, because we've done some renovations and upgrades to the museum, we have a variety of rental opportunities. If community members want to host a meeting or an event at the museum, we have rentals. The museum is available to be rented morning, noon, evening, or night. And so all that info can be found on our website or folks can call our phone, our main line, which is 206-518-6000. Or they can email info at namnw.org. Our team is ready to uh, engage with community, um, co-host events at the museum. So we're ready, reopened and really looking forward to folks coming back into the doors of the Northwest African American Museum. We are excited about the exhibitions we have right now. In addition to the Colors of Life exhibition, which is an abstract art show featuring four regional Black artists from as far away as Spokane, and Seattle. We also have a show called A Long Walk to Hope, which showcases the 40-year annual Dr. King March that has been uh, led by you, Eddie, and so many others. And we'll be celebrating uh, the work of the MLK um, uh, uh, commemoration committee on April 15, and just celebrating all the work that you all have done for 40 years and celebrating this exhibition at the museum. Well, Lanisha, Reverend uh, Lanisha de Bartleman, resident and CEO of the Northwest African American Museum, thank you very much for all that you do. And uh, 
I hope you enjoyed uh, Chef Jamil's cuisine that was served at the reception. So I want to make sure everybody knows that it, most people were very, very elated with with the with the food. So thank it you. It was much. delicious. And we will stay in touch, my 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 partner in, in the in the hood. So thank, thank you very much. Thank okay, you, then. Eddie. I'm great okay. to partner okay. with you. Revelation. Thank you. My next guest is a person that sits on all the money, Erin Lopez. She is uh, the diversity uh, uh, inclusion coordinator. Is that what your title is, Erin? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion director, but you can call me anything. <laughs> no, I won't do that. <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion manager for the Department of uh, Financial Institutions. And on March 30th, you guys had a workshop and why don't you tell our listeners about that because it's something that's near and dear to a lot of my listeners' hearts, and that's being included in the economic pie and having access to capital. Absolutely. So um, first, wanted to highlight my role is a new role that we requested to be issued and used with our own funds, um, and my whole role is focused on narrowing the racial wealth gap. So this was part of that. This was an all-day event. Uh, on March 30th, where we brought together community, industry, and government on leading models. And the work was specifically led by community as far as what they wanted us to cover, how they wanted us to do the work, and how we measure success, which was based on connecting community with community-connected financial institutions and products that meet communities' needs as defined by community. And we, yes, had a lot of money in the room. We partnered with Commerce, who... Um, had about $400, $500 million in the room, plus community reinvestment funds, federal funds, and other funds. Um, $200 million of that is still being um, developed um, for the community reinvestment plan for communities impacted by the war on drugs. So Ms. Jesse Johnson um, with the Harriet Tubman Foundation for Safe Passage is still working on um, collecting information and making recommendations for that $200 million, but they're was a lot of money in the room as well. Now, Department of Financial Institutions, the question that comes to me all the time is, what about having a black bank established? I know Bob, Senator Bob Hasegawa tried to get a state bank, but he's been shot down by the, the, the lobbyists from the banking industry. So I was just wondering, is it possible for the state to have a bank and have a, a, uh, a uh, branches in, in uh, black communities? So a, a state bank is outside of my, my background, but um, as far as a Black-owned bank, uh, we did have the federal agency that works and recognized minority depository institutions, um, the FDIC there. Uh, we also had Unibank, which is currently the only state-chartered minority depository institution talking about the resources available, how they started. Um, and so basically you could start a bank. And if somebody's interested in doing that, you can talk to our agency to start a bank or a credit union. Um, we can help you with that. Uh, you could uh, help get an existing black bank uh, to locate here, open a branch here, or you could buy a bank. Um, that just happened recently, I think in Utah. Um, and then there's obviously there's the, the virtual kind of um, on your phone or computer um, as well. But that is something that we have had several conversations um, with different people over time um, more recently. And there's also interest from industry if people are wanting to 
kind of have focus. One of our financial institutions during the, the event had shared that they had offered for um, tribal government to um, have an advisory group to kind of uh, work through some of the logistics and actually serve on kind of some of that board capacity to kind of learn a little bit more um, about all the regulatory elements before kind of jumping in on their own. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the event? Uh, what was what stood out to you? What was accomplished on your March 30th uh, workshop? Yeah, so we had a lot of connections and that was what community identified as priorities. There were a lot of, there were individuals who were sharing that they are already doing the work for free. So there were a lot of individuals, leaders in the community doing the work who connected with people who have money. So that's good. People should be paid for the work that they're doing. Um, we also heard a lot on the importance of trauma-informed services. So recognizing kind of the historical impact and how to change and, and consider how services are offered. There was also a lot of conversation on buy and for and the importance of representation at all levels of a financial institution. Um, there was also discussion of funding from different places, so private grants, um, programs that are in place now. So for example, one of our speakers talked about grants for people who are wanting to buy a home to pay off debt so that they can then participate in programs. So there's uh, one of the other things that people talked about is the wealth gap is at all levels. So really ensuring that when we're talking about narrowing the racial wealth gap, we're talking at all income levels. Um, there was also a lot about grassroots entities. So folks who are already doing the work, but might not meet the criteria for some of the funding and how to kind of bridge that that work and so that they you can grow the buy-in for um, community representation and service. Uh, one of the speakers who was with the financial institution also talked about the importance of data and goals and really tracking and making sure people are serving all of our communities. So I think that those were some of the highlights I had from my notes. We meet on a regular basis, so we're going to meet again next month with community and industry and say, how did it go? What do you want us to do next? What day? What, what's the, what, day what day next month in the location? Um, it, I think it's the May 5th. It's virtual. Um, and if anyone's interested, I can send them the information. So it's just Aaron, E-R-I-N dot Lopez at D-F-I dot W-A dot G-O-V. And it's open to anyone. Just, just email me and I can uh, set you up with the link. Now, to your knowledge, is there one black bank, uh, black owned bank in Washington State? There is not currently a black owned bank that is in Washington. Do you know if there are any black owned credit unions in Washington State? No. So, so when you, as far as the definition of a minority depository institution, I, I said black. I yeah. didn't say minority. I, I black, know, right? So, African, so there. I tell you, let me be very specific. African descendants of United States enslaved, the ones that's been here for 100 years. So, uh, is, there, is there a credit union owned by African descendants? So there's not a Black-owned bank or credit union by the definition of a minority depository institution. There are Black CEOs and leaders. Um, one of the speakers was a Black CEO. Um, but as far as when we we say it as far as a minority depository institution, no, there aren't any currently in Washington. 
Now I'm saying African. There are other. There are other. Now there's some uh, some uh, depository institutions that uh, from that you know cater to folks from other countries, and we know of some that down in the international district. So we know that for a fact. But I was just curious, and I've been the questions been asked to me all the time about uh, there, is there how come there's not a black bank? How come we don't have a black credit union? So I tell them that I'm gonna have to be talking to you to find out how we can get that done. What is, your, what is your suggestion for people to get the information to get started on the right track? We know we have black folks working in, in uh, majority banks, uh, you know, up and down the I-5 quarter. But I was just trying to figure out, probably be best to talk to folks who are already in the industry about, uh, is there any kind of guides or rules or regulations one would have, a group would have to adhere to to get yeah, that accomplished? And- yeah, and so we can help with that for free. Like anybody who is interested, they can reach me and I can connect them with the director of our banks or credit union division. And so we can walk them through what the requirements are. We can work with them. If the one of the benefits that was shared by the FDIC is that if you go for the the designation as a minority depository institution, there's also some other kind of wraparound programs with that. Um Yes. So that anyone who's interested, please reach out to us that we can help with that. Give up your contact information so they can, when they reach, they can make sure they get you. Yeah. Um, it's again, it's Aaron, E-R-I-N dot Lopez, L-O-P-E-Z at D-F-I dot W-A dot G-O-V. And what I'll do is I'll put that underneath your uh, picture on Facebook. So it will be there. And uh, I think uh, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think two hours after this live broadcast, this program will be available on Alexa and my podcast. And then after a couple of weeks, it will also go on the website, uh, urbanformnw.com. So uh, your uh, interview will be up for a year. So we can come back and say, oh, Aaron said that. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, the biggest interest I, I hear from people all the time is how come we don't have a bank? Well, we, know, we used to have credit unions. As a matter of fact, the churches had credit unions. And we did have Liberty Bank. And they ran into problems when Tom's, uh, 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 what is Tom backing? Tom Woods tried to open up a, uh, the branch downtown. And the folks got really upset on 2nd Avenue. Well, you're supposed to be on 24th and Union. What are you doing down here? And so a lot of the folks in the banks got really upset about it. But, you know, one of the strangest things that's happened is uh, you remember Silas Potter. He stole $160,000. And uh, it got more publicity than the people that bankrupted Washington Mutual, the largest bank failure in the history of Washington State. You knew nothing about those folks who profited before the bank collapsed. Nobody took no cameras of their houses. Uh, you didn't see their pictures in the paper. So it's kind of weird. So I guess that's why every time there's a bank failure, uh, they come to folk, government come to the rescue without asking very many questions. So I just had to drop that because people are talking about, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, the Liberty Bank went out of business. Well, Washington Mutual had the biggest bank failure ever, but other banks are still open. So, but Aaron, I really want to thank you for what you're doing and for your offer to help people. And I will share your contact, your DFI contact information with them. I'll put it on your picture on Facebook. So thank you very much. I'm glad you made it back out of your camping trip in the woods safely. And I see you got the woods behind you right now, even though you're at home. You just love the woods. So thank you very much, Aaron. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Eddie. All right. Okay, Eric, we'll take this break and come back after that. Sunny, yesterday my life was filled with rain. Sunny, 
You smiled at me and really eased the pain. Now the dark days are done and the bright days are here. My sunny one shines so sincere. Sunny one so true. I love you. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Well, thanks for that, that, that uh, record, uh, Eric. That's about as close as we'll get to some sun in a long time from what the, what the weather person is saying. But anyway, I want to thank uh, Attorney Lim Howell, uh, uh, entrepreneur and owner of Helen Soul Bistro, Jess Darnell Hinton, uh, Mayor Karen Bass, uh, Mayor Bruce Harrell, uh, Reverend uh, Lanisha DeBartleben, President and CEO of, of the Northwest African American Museum, and Aaron Nielsen Lopez who is a diversity, equity, and inclusion manager for the Washington State Department of Financial Institutions. And uh, I also want to thank uh, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion. Uh, that's uh, Ali Smith and uh, Nikki High down at Sound Transit. And also the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, uh, with Carol Wong, Carmen Kuzinski, Mark Anakawara, and uh, Carol... Uh, uh, and also the Port of Seattle University Contracting Office, that's me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, who I saw last week at the event out at uh, uh, at the SeaTac Marriott, which was uh, of NAMC and uh, Association of Women and Minority Business Owners, uh, co-hosted with the U.S. Department of Transportation to talk about the $1.75 trillion of which minorities are supposed to receive 15%. And I certainly hope that all minorities are included in that because that has not been the case in the past. And also SeaTac Bar Group LLC, uh, Jerry Whitsitt and Rod O'Neill, uh, they own the SeaTac Bar, uh, they own uh, the Africa Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A out at SeaTac. And uh, hopefully we'll be having some more conversations about getting a bank because having access to capital is one way to make sure your company is funded. And uh, if you don't have one black bank, uh, our numbers will not increase anywhere because if you can't fund the contract, 
you can't perform on the contract. So hopefully uh, all these folks that are in these positions will also advocate for equity for everyone and not act like those uh, state representatives down in Tennessee. Uh, like Lem Howell said, a big travesty of justice happened today. Thank you very much. Eddie Bryan with another edition of River Forum Northwest. Talk to you next week. Thank you.